Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Sunandita Santanam. And I'm Milian Cordova. We want to remind you that this program is being broadcast on stolen indigenous land. And tonight, we share important information on voting in New Mexico and the 2020 census. New Mexico Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse-Oliver helps us identify misleading narratives on voting by mail and the upcoming dates and deadlines for all New Mexico voters to know. Then, Nicole Rogers, founder of the Wellstand Foundation and co-chair of the African American Complete Count Committee, gives us crucial information about the 2020 census. And we have some community announcements and great music for you. That's right. Starting off with the song to get us thinking about our own power, here is For God's Sake, Give More Power to the People by the Shy Lights. Maggie Toulouse-Oliver was elected as New Mexico's Secretary of State in 2016. She also served two and a half terms as the Bernalillo County Clerk. Secretary Toulouse-Oliver has a background in political science and advocacy for tribes, the environment, and reproductive justice. Now, radio producer Kateri Zuni speaks with Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse-Oliver. This is Kateri Zuni with Generation Justice, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with New Mexico's Secretary of State, Maggie Toulouse-Oliver. Madam Secretary, welcome to Generation Justice. Kateri, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be on the show today and to talk about the general election coming up. Thank you. Let's start with hearing a little more about yourself. Sure. Well, I'm from New Mexico. I uh, moved to New Mexico to Albuquerque when I was about three years old um, and grew up there, went to public school, APS public schools, graduated from Highland High School. Um, and I think just have been very fortunate and blessed to be a product of New Mexico. Um, I decided to stay in New Mexico to go to college and I was always very interested in politics and government growing up and, and I chose uh, to pursue a degree in political science and Spanish at UNM. I worked my way through college. I had my first child when I was in college, uh, so it took me a little bit longer to finish my bachelor's. And then I uh, went on to a master's degree in political science, thinking I was going to be a political science professor, um, which still may happen. And I'll get to that in a minute. But to make a long story short, um, public service was calling me from a young age, uh, and I threw my hat in in the ring to be appointed to the county clerk position in Bernalillo County because I care very deeply about democracy in our elections and have been really fortunate to serve in a role overseeing or running elections in New Mexico for the last almost 14 years now and just continue to bring the passion um, that I have 
uh, every day to my job to make sure that that voters uh, can have their voices heard in our democracy. Uh, and then just the last thing I'll add, as I alluded to, I actually am returning back to my PhD program in political science this fall. I'm a UNM student starting this fall uh, to hopefully finish that PhD uh, alongside my work in the Secretary of State's office. So we'll see where that goes. <laughs> Ah, thank you so much for sharing that. Go Lobos, right? Yeah, go Lobos. <laughs> That's awesome. To get started, Madam Secretary, I'd like for you to just give us, or give you rather, the opportunity to help us understand the moment that we're in, in terms of this 2020 election. Well, it's, it's certainly a moment unlike any other in our nation's history. Uh, it's a moment unlike any other I've ever experienced running elections and that pretty much every colleague, uh, whether they've been running elections for a year or 30 years, uh, can remember um, a presidential election always presents challenges. And I think the foremost challenge that we see um, on the front of elections right now has to do with the information uh, that people are accessing and consuming around not just the candidates and their positions uh, and, and what their motivations are, but around the functioning of our elections. There has been so much intentionally or unintentionally done to undermine the public's trust in government and in the election process. And so as election officials, not only are we now uh, trying to run those elections with the utmost integrity and fairness and accessibility, but we're also doing everything we can to make sure uh, that voters understand how the process works and are able to trust it enough uh, to entrust us with their very important constitutional right to vote. Thank you so much for addressing that. I'd like to talk about that narrative that's around us and around this election right now, particularly as we hear from the Trump administration, the idea that voting by mail is somehow going to lead to voter fraud. Can you address that? Well, first of all, I think it's incredibly unfortunate that elections in general and the way that we run elections have uh, become such a, a partisan and polarizing issue. Um, this is an area of governance and government that should really be sacrosanct uh, for both parties, right? We should really start to move in a direction. And, and one of the things that I'm focused on um, as I'm currently the president of our National Association of Secretaries of State is, is seeing what we can do collectively to try to move um, the narrative around elections out of the toxic partisan rhetoric. Uh, that it's currently in. Um, unfortunately, there, there have been some comments made by the president that um, we know people around the country are listening to and taking to heart, um, that there's something inherently untrustworthy about voting by mail. And the irony is that, of course, voting by mail has been around since the dawn of our democracy. Um, people have put their ballots through the United States Postal Service since they became an entity, especially our uh, overseas and military voters have been almost 100% reliant on the mail until recent times to cast a ballot. Don't take my word for it. You can go just Google uh, academic studies of voter fraud and you will find uh, nonpartisan sources that show that voter fraud in general is extremely rare. Um, the reason for this is that voter fraud is what we call a very low reward, high risk type of crime. In almost every state, including New Mexico, it's a felony to commit any kind of voter fraud. Uh, and 
the reward is very low because if you uh, expose yourself to the penalty of a felony, right, going to jail, losing your own right to vote for the sake of casting one ballot, the odds of which will affect the outcome of any given election, right, that's really unlikely. So in general, voting by mail uh, is very safe and very secure and very uh, at very low risk for voter fraud. But in general, uh, we just do not see widespread voter fraud around the country. And I just want voters to know that if they choose to vote by mail this election, their vote is going to be safe. Uh, and we have lots of tools in place to make sure that it gets counted and counted accurately. Along with that narrative, there may also be some misunderstanding with regard to the definitions of voter fraud versus voter suppression. How can you characterize that or explain that for us? So voter fraud is typically um, a term that we use when we think of individuals who are trying to cast a ballot uh, for another person in another person's name, you know, with or without that other person's knowledge. Anytime you are uh, essentially impersonating another voter, whether you are uh, registering to vote, um, you know, under a, a false name, whether you are asking for an absentee ballot for that person, whether you're going in person to a polling place to say, oh, I am Maggie Toulouse Oliver, I'm here to cast my ballot, those are all forms of voter fraud. We can and do find out when people try to do this and we prosecute them. We have a history of doing that. I had a history of that at the county level. I have a history of that at the state level. Because again, you know, it, it's, it's such a violation of an individual's sacrosanct right to vote. Now, voter suppression is something that we typically think of as being done externally. Uh, voter suppression is when there are forces at work that are trying to keep people from voting. And sometimes that's administrative. So sometimes you see it in the form of state laws or uh, local election rules around, for example, not putting enough polling places in areas for voters uh, so that they have to stand in very long lines and, and maybe won't have the time to stand in line and vote, making it um, difficult for them to cast a ballot by mail, uh, requiring a certain kind of ID that's very difficult to get. Those types of things are voter suppression. And I would argue that a lot of the misinformation that we see um, in the rhetoric these days around whether or not voting is safe, whether or not you can trust the voting process, that in itself is a form of voter suppression as well, because it goes to the psychology and to trying to affect an individual's decision about whether or not they should uh, try to go out and cast a ballot. Thank you so much for clearing that for us. Given the moment that we're in and the fact that there are still so many unknowns with regard to COVID and even just regular flu season in the fall, not to mention the apparent dismantling of our U.S. Postal Service as it is. What are some ways New Mexico's voting process needs to pivot or be flexible in order to accommodate this year's election? That's such a good question because one thing we did discover uh, as we were getting ready for the primary election here was that uh, our law is not flexible enough for us to be able to pivot in the way that we felt we really wanted to, uh, to make sure that we had a, a very safe vote count. Now we were able to do a lot to accommodate 
you know, a massive influx in vote by mail to make it easier for voters to vote by mail to protect our in-person polling places so that individuals um, could safely go in person to cast a ballot. That was in large part because really of Herculean efforts on the part of our county clerks and their staff and poll workers. We received $4 million in additional uh, election funding from Congress that we spent the vast majority of to make sure we could do for the primary. So for the general, we knew we had one bite at the apple um, to make some needed flexibility changes in our state laws. And working together with the legislature, we passed a bill, Senate Bill 4, during the special session this summer that does build in some of that flexibility. Uh, for example, it gives county clerks the authority to go ahead and mail out those absentee ballot applications right off the bat and for the state to pay for that so they don't have to build it into their budgets. Um, it continues a lot of the practices that we developed during the primary election um, in order to keep those polling places safe. And then uh, another really important factor is that we had really um, depressed voter turnout, lower voter turnout among our uh, tribal voters because a lot of those communities were locked down and outside individuals could not come onto the Pueblos or tribal lands. And we, as a result, a lot of polling locations were either closed or moved entirely off the tribal lands, making it really difficult for those voters to vote because many of them don't have reliable mail service. So we built a protection into the bill this summer to allow those polling locations to remain open exclusively for the voters in those communities um, so that they're not risking having outsiders come into the community and bringing COVID with them, but still allowing them a safe opportunity to vote. So these are just a few of the examples of things that we've done to try to make it easier. Uh, but moving forward, we, we feel strongly that we need to build some more long-term plans for flexibility in elections when and if these types of crises do occur. What we do need to do is work on continuing to build our infrastructure to expand voting by mail. Um, many of our county clerks were actually quite frankly overwhelmed by the amount of vote by mail ballots that came in during the primary. And they are putting together a lot of plans to be able to address the volume and get it counted quickly and accurately um, in time for the general. But we need more infrastructure. We need to um, build, you know, actually use uh, additional automation and computer software and things like that to make it not only easier for our county clerks to process, but for the voter uh, to be able to have all the information they need uh, in, in order to safely and securely vote that ballot through the mail. Okay, thank you. And can you clarify for us how New Mexico's absentee ballots work? Sure. So first of all, it's important to note that you do have to ask for one. And the way that you ask for an absentee ballot or a ballot to be mailed to you is that you have to fill out an application. Um, you can, uh, as I mentioned, do that online if you have a current or expired New Mexico driver's license or state ID. Um, and that is through our nmvote.org portal. Or you can fill out a paper form. Um, and in order to get one of those, uh, we actually have a link on our website on that same nmvote.org portal to print and download one, or you can just call your county clerk uh, and ask them to send one to you in the mail and you fill it out and mail it back to them. So that's the first step is that you have to request it. Um, once that request has been received back, again, using the rnmvote.org portal, you can actually track it so you can see if that application has been received. 
clerks will begin mailing those ballots starting on October 6th. So um, it goes out in the mail on the 6th. The Postal Service says, uh, wait, you know, give it about a week to arrive from the day that it's put in the mail. You'll be able now uh, for this general election to be able to see exactly where it is using that portal uh, in the mail system, whether it's, uh, you know, left the Albuquerque main plant, if it's, you know, at your local post office, uh, if it's out for delivery, et cetera. And then of course the same on the way back. Once you have received your ballot, follow all the directions that are included with the ballot, send it back and you can track your ballot as it goes back to the county clerk to be counted. Thank you. That I can see offers a lot of reassurance to voters in this year, especially. Can you tell us a little bit about how your office is planning or is already working to protect and simplify voting in our rural communities in New Mexico who often already experience things like postal service delays and even harsh weather conditions? Yeah. So uh, the first thing that I would say is if you are a, a voter in a rural community or anywhere in the state that wants to vote by mail, get that application in as soon as you can. Um, again, our, our portal is open uh, online for you to apply now. It's just that one simple step. That's all you have to do or, you know, to get that paper application into your county clerk, because that way then the county clerk can mail it out at the earliest possible date, mail your ballot to you. Then the sooner you get that in the mail, obviously uh, many voters, you know, they already know how they want to vote. They can, they can fill it out super quick and get it back in the mail super quick. Some like to take their time and really research and look at their ballot. Um, another thing you folks will be able to do starting very soon is access a sample ballot online at nmvote.org as well. And I would encourage folks to either do that or again, call your county clerk and ask for one so that you know in advance what are the races on my ballot? What are the, who are the candidates that I wanna make sure that I research uh, beforehand so that when I do get my ballot, I'll be ready. I'll have made my decision. Um, then the last piece of advice is to just really get that ballot in the mail as soon as you can or no later than a week before election day. If you are waiting after that week before election day, October 27th, there will be locations, any polling location across the state where a voter can go drop that ballot off just drop it. Um, and of course, we have early voting starting um, October 17th around communities around the state. Many communities, especially our rural communities, your county clerk will provide mobile voting, early voting in those communities. So check out either nmvote.org or your county clerk's website to see when a, a mobile early voting site might be coming to your community to get that vote in early. Um, lastly, for our very far flung rural communities uh, that don't have internet, you are going to, and this is a, just a special handful of people, you are going to have a ballot automatically mailed to you. Um, and that is to make sure that every polling location in the state has internet connectivity. So any voter can go to any polling location in their county uh, and get their ballot cast. So we're, we're kind of doing all of these different things to make sure a voter can cast their ballot. And if you ever aren't sure what your options are, uh, again, visiting our voter portal at nmvote.org or just calling your county clerk directly and getting the scoop straight from the horse's mouth is the best way to get that information. It's really interesting to learn about our more rural communities. Madam Secretary, what about our unsheltered population though? What are the options available for someone who doesn't have a a permanent address or a mailing address right now. One of the things that I love about our state law is that it does contemplate that we have folks 
uh, living in places or staying in places without standard addresses. Um, and of course, that is largely in tribute to our very rural and tribal communities, but it does apply to our unsheltered population or individuals experiencing homelessness as well. Um, there's two things that a person in, in those conditions can do to make sure that they get a chance to vote. Um, I would encourage anybody listening who has access to a homelessness service provider, no matter where you lay your head at night, you can use that homelessness service provider uh, as your mailing address. Um, a great example in Albuquerque is St. Martin's Hospitality Center. I always use that example because I know that we have a, a great number of unsheltered uh, folks using that as their mailing address. You can uh, either write an address or write a written description or draw a map of where it is that you sleep at night. Um, that is your residence for purposes of where you vote. You can use that uh, service provider as a mailing address uh, for your voter registration. And then just like anybody else, you can request an absentee ballot to be mailed to that um, service provider's address or you can go vote in person, uh, just like anybody else. You won't need to show a physical ID. You'll just need to give uh, a, a few pieces of information about you, your name, your registered name, your birth and address, uh, whichever address you use, to the poll worker to vote. And so those are the options for folks who are you know, in between places now or experiencing homelessness. Right, thank you. And especially in this moment, in the aftermath or while we're still dealing with COVID. Um, seeing yes. so many folks, you know, really having to think about those considerations. That's absolutely right. I'd like to go back to our tribal communities and just, you know, reminding listeners that they're sovereign nations. How do you work with tribes and tribal governments in a way that respects tribal sovereignty, but also encourages votership um, for federal or state elections? Thank you for asking that question. Um, most importantly, it's a partnership. Um, it's incumbent upon me as a state official to understand, acknowledge, and respect tribal sovereignty and to really work to form a strong government-to-government -government relationship between my office and tribal governments and their communities. We've been working on that extensively since I came into office. Um, as well as we created a task force of leaders and tribal communities from around the state to help advise my office as to how we can better uh, work with in partnership and assist voters in our tribal communities to help get the word out, get information out. And I think more importantly than anything to do that in both a language appropriate and a culturally appropriate way. We have 13 different uh, spoken and sometimes written tribal languages across the state. And even among the tribal communities that share language, there are cultural differences, right? And so we are working really hard to try to craft services, whether it be interpretation and translation services, um, informational outreach programs, working together directly with the tribal governor and their staff or, and a council to um, develop materials that are tailored to that community that they can distribute in the way that they think makes sense for their community. We're engaging in all of those kinds of activities and we're all 
also um, working together with allied organizations such as NEVA EP and other groups that are from and a part of our tribal communities. Because at the end of the day, what's really important for me is that every single voter in the state that wants a voice in our democracy has that voice. We know that our tribal communities are traditionally and historically underrepresented. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the state either in the past did not acknowledge um, the sovereignty and the, the unique needs of each community, or it just did not have the political will to do so. So for me, that's been a huge priority. And it is not something that is going to be uh, fully addressed overnight. It's a long-term goal and one that I am deeply committed to and really grateful for the partnerships that we've formed thus far to, to start working on that. Great. Thank you so much. And can we have one last reminder of where folks can go for more information and our important upcoming deadlines? Sure. Um, so again, if you have access to the internet, please, please visit nmvote.org. That's nmvote.org. That has statewide information. It has links to your county clerk's office, the portal to register to vote and apply for an absentee ballot application. Uh, if you can't get on the internet, figure out how to get a hold of your local county clerk's office or call my office in Santa Fe, 505-827. 3600 and we will get you connected with your local county clerk's office so that they can help you directly. Madam Secretary, is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, I think the last thing I would say, for, first of all, um, Kateri, and I know Barbara is, is there engineering for us today. It's been just a, a real pleasure to work with and talk with you know young vibrant women of color doing really important work um, to help get this information out in the state i'm just really um, proud to be a part of your effort and think that what you guys are doing is just wonderful um, and i'm very supportive of it secondly i just want to say uh, i really hope that every person in the state that's an eligible citizen over the age of 18, or I should say 18 or older, um, really makes an effort to get out and, and make their voice heard in our democracy. I don't know of a year in my lifetime that uh, the impact of government decisions uh, has had such a profound daily influence on our lives. And if that's something that maybe you didn't feel before, even though it was there, please know that as the, the highest election official in the state, I deeply value every person's vote in this state. And if you have never been asked to or invited to, please, I am asking and inviting you to, to participate in this election, cast your ballot. If you have questions or concerns or don't understand the process, do not ever hesitate to ask because at the end of the day, that's what we're here to help with. And there is no such thing, literally, there is no such thing as a stupid question. You will never be shamed um, for getting in, for asking for information that you need uh, to safely and effectively make your voice heard in our democracy. Um, and so with that, I just wanna thank you again for having me today and for helping get this really important information out into our communities. Secretary Tillis Oliver, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us and for giving this incredibly vital information to our community at this moment. And I appreciate all that you and your office are doing to ensure that every person in New Mexico who can vote is able to vote safely and, and easily this year. Well, thank you. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> for Generation Justice, I'm Katerie Zuni.
Thank you, Secretary Toulouse-Oliver. As a first-time voter, I appreciate you clearing up the narrative around voter fraud. Because the risk is so high, we rarely see this occur. I learned about the important role you play, especially during this year's election. So thank you for coming on and sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom. Thank you so much, Madam Secretary, not only for your information, but also your active work to change the narrative around voting by mail and how we access information. It is important that we as people know that we can make a difference and will be heard this 2020 election. Even though I can't vote this year, I've been able to engage with the election by working as a poll worker. Now, we would like to honor your work, Madam Secretary, with a song about our collective power as voters and residents of the state. Here is I Give You Power by Arcade Fire featuring gospel singer Mavis Staples. Welcome back to Generation Justice. Hey, Milian, did you know that September 30th is the last day to fill out the 2020 census? That's only two and a half weeks away. Time is running out, and here to speak with us is Nicole Rogers of the African American Complete Count Committee. Ms. Rogers is also the founder of the Wellstown Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving health equity for people of color in New Mexico. Now, Razula Alikwazai speaks with Nicole Rogers. This is Razula Alikwazai with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Nicole Rogers, a chair of the African American Complete Count Committee. Welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Please share with us more about yourself. Yeah, well, um, I am one of the co-chairs of the African American Complete Count Committee. My other chair is Beverly Jordan from the Office of African American Affairs. And we're working hard um, this year um, and basically since last summer to really galvanize and educate the African-American community um, and really people of color in general about the importance of the census and why we need to be counted and that this is something you can do now to have a big impact for the next 10 years. Yeah, that's very important. Thank you for that. Um, tell us about the Wellstown Foundation and your motivation to found this organization. Yeah, so the Wellstown Foundation, um, if this is a foundation started by um, a group of about six uh, African Americans in the community. And we are really working to get into systems to remove the stigma on people of color in, in New Mexico. We're considered statistically insignificant because we're 3% or less, I think it was 2.6% in the 2010 census. Um, and so when we go to advocate for our community specifically, we're told we're statistically insignificant. And so there's a lot of gaps for our community that really um, prevent our children and us from thriving. Um, and so our work is around really a lot of capacity building within institutions like um, UNM, higher learning, CYFD, um, police departments, the city, lots of different avenues that we can really work with them 
um, to make things better for us in the state of New Mexico. And when our board met middle of last year, we decided that the census was gonna be our first project um, because if we were gonna advocate for our community over the next 10 years, we wanna see the census more than the 2.6% so that they can no longer tell us we're statistically insignificant because I am really sick of hearing that, so. Thank you so much. It's a very important work and nobody is statistically insignificant. Give us an idea of the work that you are doing to encourage African-American folks and other people of color to fill out the 2020 census. Yeah, so our outreach strategy has been really about building relationships. The Black community is very segmented and diverse. So I know that Joe Biden was in the, in the news saying that the Black community is not very diverse. Well, that's not true. We're very diverse. What's unique about New Mexico and the African-American communities, you can't just go to one neighborhood and find all the Black people, right? We're spread out all throughout New Mexico, and we all don't just live in one part of a, of a city. And so for us, um, it's about outreach and building different relationships within segments of the black community. So for instance, I'm not necessarily plugged in with the black churches, right? But my co-chair Beverly Jordan is. So to be able to reach people of faith, like our churches, we had it to do that. We couldn't leave that out. That's a big part of um, the black community. Uh, we partnered with people like Brandy Stone from UNM, um, African-American Student Services, to reach African-American students, which is super important. Um, to make sure that the students are counted because a lot of students think that the uh, college that they go to is going to count them. And if you don't live on campus, that's not true. We also were able to reach um, the Divine Nine, our sorority and fraternity groups, right? So being able to partner with them to reach all of their alumni and their undergrad students was super important. So our outreach has been heavily focused on building relationships within all the different segments and finding champions in those communities to take forth the message about the census. What are the ways community members have been involved in getting the census information out? Yeah, so COVID-19 threw a big wrench in our original plans, right? And so it really made us have to pivot really quickly. So some of the things we've done is we've hosted um, statewide town halls that people could tune in to get where we highlighted work of different African-Americans across the state. You can see all of those on our website on wellstandfoundation.org. You can go back and watch them. We had a special youth edition um, where we talked to um, folks of color in our community that are youth, 25 and under, so that we could capture that voice. We've done mail outs of different trusted messengers in our community. Um, we've tied those mail outs to actual videos. So you can go to the same website and find all the videos that we've produced in our community. We've done, um, hosted um, a cool virtual salsa party partnering with the International District Complete Count Committee where we weaved in some entertainment and some salsa dancing with census outreach information, which was really fun. Um, we've done a lot of giveaways. So right now on our same website, you can go and enter your information after you complete the census to get a giveaway. Um, there's $100 gift cards, $50 gift cards, t-shirts, hand sanitizer, masks. I mean, all kinds of things that we have that we're giving away to incentivize people. Um, not like the billions of dollars that would come to New Mexico isn't worth it, 
um, people really signed up for some hand sanitizer. So whatever your motivations are, we're okay with that, just as long as you complete the census. That's wonderful that you guys are uh, encouraging people to participate in census through giveaways, you know, that's wonderful. Speaking of billions of dollars, what could an undercount of New Mexico's African-American population result in? Uh, it's huge. In New Mexico alone, we as a community would lose, I mean, there's $8 billion up for grabs, right? And so there's a lot at stake for New Mexico's African-American community will lose millions. I mean, it's, it's a lot. It actually amounts to about $5,000 per person per year for the next 10 years. So that's the impact for just one individual. So if we think of 50% of our state right now, we're at 56% self-response rate. So just a little over half of New Mexico was engaged enough to go and to complete that census. Now we have enumerators that are out and about. Um, and that was one of our early strategies was to hold job fairs to try to get as many people hired as census workers, actual enumerators, who are going to be out in the community. And so right now with self-response and with enumeration, New Mexico is only at 69% response rate. So only 69% of New Mexicans have been counted, which is if we have till September 30th, that's like not a lot of time. So we have still a big part of our state to cover before the deadline. Yes, that's a lot. And uh, tell us about some of the biggest uh, misconceptions about the census that you're working to turn around. The biggest thing that we're working to turn around is the distrust with the federal government. That hands down has been, I think, the reason um, that people do not answer the door to our enumerators. Um, like I got hired as an enumerator, so I get to go out and actually knock on doors of people who have not completed it and try to get them and talk them into doing it. Um, and it's a trust issue. The, even though the citizen question was taking off of the census, there is no question about citizenship. You do not have to be a US citizen to count. Your life matters, you count, and we want you to count. This information is not um, anything that the, this federal government or the Census Bureau shares with people like ICE, but that's a huge, huge part of, I think, why people don't respond. Um, I think what people don't realize is when census workers do come to your door, you can give them as little or as much information as you want. Um, you don't have to give all the information that the questionnaire asks for. It's okay to just give numbers and race and ethnicity if that's important to you. If you don't want to give race and ethnicity, you don't have to. I would beg you to do that, though, um, because we, do, we can use census um, data for civil rights issues, looking at you know, education attainment, um, you know, where the resources should go as far as neighborhoods. Um, so I think it's really important to put race and ethnicity and really be smart about what you do check when you do check your race and ethnicity. For someone like me that's mixed, right? Do you pick Hispanic? Do you pick African-American? Do you pick both? And it's a, that's a personal decision. Um, but I would beg you to look into how the census uses that data, how you get counted if you put two. When I researched that for myself, I found out that if I put Hispanic and Black, I count twice. 
towards the Hispanic count and the black count. But if you put more than two, then we're not really sure how that shows up in the census. Two or more races and you get lumped into a box, but where do those funds go, right? I can't go to the legislator and say, hey guys, I need money for the 20% other in the census. I need the, I need the money for the others, right? It doesn't work like that. So I would urge you to check one box. Um, and for me being mixed, I'm choosing to check black um, because I want my $5,000 per year for the next 10 years to go to the African-American community. How can youth who may not be the head of their household still help to get the word out about the census? Yes, first thing you can do is go ask your parent or guardian, whoever you live with, if they've completed the census for your household. If they have not, ask them to complete that. Explain to them, have a dialogue, talk to them about why it matters to you and why you think it should matter to them to complete that. Um, funny story, I was actually, I went to a home to enumerate and I knocked on the door and a son answered, right? And I don't know how old he was, but he was younger. I perceived him to be around 12, 13, not sure. But um, I told him I was here for the census and he was like, oh yeah, we talked about that in school, right? And I'm like, yeah, so can I talk to your mom or dad or whoever, you know, is the adult so that I can complete the census? Yeah, sure, right? Closes the door, goes to get his mom, and I hear his mom, oh, no, we're not doing that. And then literally slammed the door, and I could hear him go, mom, but it's important. And she was not having it, though. So we do. I think kids could influence their parents in understanding, like, hey, why don't you want to do it? Let's talk about it. The other big thing, I think, the tip that maybe would help their parents if they're engaged in politics if New Mexico has an undercount, a significant undercount, which is likely, we could lose a congressional seat. We could lose a Deb Holland. What? No, we can't afford to lose a congressional seat. So there's lots of reasons why, you know, if, you, if your parents um, get SNAP benefits or like my children, Medicaid, you know, those fu that funding is tied to the census. And we don't want those things to get cut here. Uh, so those are important reasons why I think you can urge your parents to do the right thing and tell them the same as voting. Are you going to vote? Then you should do the census too, because it goes hand in hand. Yeah, that's very important. We, yeah, as you said, we cannot afford to lose our representation and representation is very important. Speaking of voting, is your team also working on getting out the vote info? Yes, census and voting go hand in hand. So when we are, when I'm out, I'm definitely talking about both and not just voting in the presidential elections, voting in every single election possible, because that's how we take back our power is local government, city councils, school boards, all of that. We need you to vote in all of those, not just the presidential election. The 14th is a statewide a day of action and it's good it's been called out from um, the governor and her task force for the census so we're going to be partnering with radio stations news stations koat kob to do old-fashioned uh, telethon type of census action there's lots of ways you can get involved on that day um, you can sign up to do some phone banking put a little team together to sign up to do some phone banking um, we have some canned um, copy and paste ready social media type of campaigns with, uh, you know, 
all kinds of different graphics that you can use that are specific to things like healthcare, education, young kids, college age kids, whatever your, um, your niche is, um, as far as who you reach, there's something for you in that toolkit. So there's lots of things, uh, ways to get involved on Monday, September 14th. Awesome. Um, what are the options available for filling out distances? Yeah, great question. So there are now four ways to do the census. So first way is the mail-in questionnaire that you got mailed in. Most all of the houses in New Mexico have by now received that questionnaire. So you can fill that out by you know hand and mail it back. There's an envelope in there that you can mail it back with. You could use that same questionnaire because it has a unique code for your household. You can go to my2020census.gov and enter that unique code and complete it online. It takes about five, six minutes to do online. You can also use your same code over the phone. And over the phone, there's lots of interpreters. I think they have 27 different languages. Um, and then the fourth way is people like me census workers with our census bags and our census phones coming and knocking on your door and saying, hey, I'm here to complete your questionnaire. And again, if you don't want us knocking on your door, I get it. Like, I get it. So just fill it out online or call in and do it. And we call it stop the knock. Stop us from knocking on your door. I'm okay with that. I want less houses to go visit between now and September 30th. Nicole, is there anything else that you would like to add? Sure. I think the biggest thing that I want to say to folks is please just do it. You can give us as little as mo or as much information as we ask for on that questionnaire. It's okay to put in what you're comfortable putting in or when we knock on your door, be kind, answer the door. You can tell that we're census workers because we have badges. We'll have our masks on. We are a hard to count state because of all the rural ground that we have. We need all the help we can get and all hands on deck to help us out. So please get involved, get up, go to wellstandfoundation.org and volunteer. We have a sign-up sheet. We'll train you. We'll support you. We just need all hands on deck to get this done. Thank you so much, Ms. Roger, for taking your time to speak with us. And the work that you are doing, it's very important for us to be counted in 2020 uh, census. It affects our whole state when our communities are undercounted and representation does matter. So thank you so much. Thank you. And I want to thank you and all your team and Roberta Royale. I and mean, it's just amazing what you guys do. And I'm so excited. Thank you so much. Thank you. For Generation Justice, Andrea Zaladikoze. Thank you so much, Nicole Rogers, for speaking with us. We are so appreciative of your outreach work and trying to get as many people of New Mexico involved with the census. Thank you for sharing with us the impact that people have on their communities and states. Thank you, Nicole Rogers, for all of your work for people of color, especially children. When someone says that you are statistically insignificant, you can feel hopeless. So I'm glad you fight for us so that we can be counted. In order to make a change, we must be counted. This next song was chosen by our guest, Nicole Rogers. Here is Pray For Me by The Weeknd, featuring Kendrick Lamar, a song that has been on her heart this week. Who gon' pray for me? Take my pain for me.
fight the world, I fight you, I fight myself. I fight God, just tell me how many burdens left. I fight pain and hurricanes, today I wept. I'm trying to fight back tears, flood on my doorsteps. Life in living hell, puddles of blood in the street, shooters on top of the building, government. Now, it's time for our community calendar, voting and census edition. That's right. We've got a reminder of the important dates, deadlines, and websites to get your absentee ballot in and your census count submitted. First up, voter registration. If you still need to register to vote for this year's general election, the last day to register online is Tuesday, October 6th. You can register by visiting nmvote.org or mail a completed New Mexico voter registration form to local election officials. Remember, to register by mail, the form must be postmarked by Tuesday, October 6th. To check your voter registration, request an absentee ballot, and all other voter information for New Mexico, you can visit nmvote.org online or call 505-827-3600. Again, that's 505-827-3600. Hey, Milian, remind us of the important dates for turning in the 2020 census. Sure, the last day to fill out the 2020 census is Wednesday, September 30th. This can be done online at 2020census.gov. Again, that's 2020census.gov. To fill out your census by phone, you can dial 844-330-2020. That's 844-330-2020. There is also still time to send in your paper census form that would have been mailed to you earlier this year. That's it for our community calendar. Now here is Count On Me by Bruno Mars. what friends are supposed to do oh yeah Ooh. 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 Yeah. we hope you have enjoyed this hour of civic engagement we'd like to thank our guests secretary of state maggie toulouse oliver and Nicole Rogers. Tonight's hour of radio was produced by Kate Rizuni, Barbara Ramirez, and Roberto Real, with additional production support from Riazzo Aliquizai and Lily Lucal. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcast, which are also available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We're also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow our playlists on Spotify. Generation Justice is funded by the WK Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the Colonial Health Foundation. And of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. 
I am Sunandita Santanam. And I'm Milan Cordova. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Good night, and remember, fill out the census and get your ballots in.